0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Studio Insights with myself, Kim, we've got Hannah and Victoria, and this is our opportunity as a team to have dedicated time to ask each other questions, hold ourselves accountable to continuously develop, and a lot of the content that we do put out on YouTube, social media, all of that is our own professional development, so that we are improving and we just share it publicly, so that hopefully it adds value, well we know it does because you tell us. but yeah, if you would like to show some love back to us, we would appreciate if you can continue to support us to do these kinds of things by investing in some of the products on the creator hub or working with us. Um, those kind of things, like for us, it's actually our livelihood if we get paid to do this stuff that we're so passionate about. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate everyone that does choose to learn with us and does support us in that way so that we continue to bring value and also continue to work in an industry that we absolutely love and love contributing to as well so here we are studio insights i'm going to ask first question and the first question is for you hannah Um, you're working on a project a week or so ago Um, it was the learning design facilitator pack so Mm -hmm. i'll just give a bit of context for everyone because i think it will add value we had a project that we were basically helping other learning designers with a kit that they could use to apply and design any learning solution, right? So what that looked like at the moment, it was particularly used for face-to-face and blended um, learning events. So at the moment, traditionally, a lot of people do like a PowerPoint pack and then they have the facilitator guide and then they have like a learner workbook. But what we've tried to do was consolidate that and just focus on how do you get a PowerPoint something visual that reinforces the learning that adds value to the learner and also serves as a facilitator guide. Um, so it's one artifact that serves those needs. And part of that was setting up a template and a framework that learning designers can use to basically apply to any training solution that they're creating. So the quest that's the context for people, so they know what you're about to give value on. Um, but the question is when you were providing the tips for learning designers to consider, which were those boxes over on the right of your, um, or on the left of your artifact, what kind of things did you include in that to help people think about what should go on that particular slide or what should solve that particular learning outcome?
1: Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is funny because Victoria actually asked me this question. Oh, really? Was this in a studio insights so I wasn't involved in? Yeah, it <laughs> oh, was the same thing. It
2: diff- it's, bit- it it's a different question, yeah. It's okay. about the same topic, but you explained it a lot better. I didn't really know much about it when I asked. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: Well, yeah, if any of our like hectic fans watch every single studio insights, <laughs> which is everyone. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it is, the question is different. So you'll get different value. Um, What did I add? So I think one of the main things was thinking about what does, like what's need to know information. Mm. So I think with a lot of um, training materials or PowerPoint presentations, people can include lots of information thinking that the learner needs everything. But really, if you ask yourself like, what can the learner do with this information? How can they use it in the real world? What could they do differently? Then a lot of the time that information doesn't align with that and it's not something that's really necessary to help get them from A to B, so whatever your goal is. So that was a big part, like getting them to question every time they put something on screen, does the learner actually need to know about this or um, what else? We had also had making it relatable to all learners. So we noticed in some training pieces that um, stories would be told or examples would be shared that doesn't relate to everyone in the group. So what we try and do is think of examples that everyone can relate to. Um, so an example is rather than saying, imagine that you go into your house, not everyone owns a house or lives in a house, So you could just say, like, imagine you're going into where you live and then people are more likely to be able to connect and be like, oh, I live in a unit, that makes sense, or I live in a van. Yeah, I can imagine myself going into that. Um, So just considering that. Um, Keeping it short and sweet. So we use something called the Hemingway App Editor um, and it enables us to keep our sentences and writing really clear. Um, and a lot of the time it cuts out so many of the words. So it's just much more simple and easy to di- digest for people that are engaging with the solution. So I definitely recommend using that app. Hmm. Um, what else? Um, when we had examples, so say there was like a video or a scenario or a case study that people were learning about, rather than asking questions that would just get them to think about the people in the scenario, we made sure that the questions related to them and their context. So if there were people in a scenario, rather than saying like, what should the person in the scenario have done? You would say like, if you were in that situation in your context, what would you do? And what would the impact be in your office or wherever you are? So just getting people to really step into the shoes of like, this is me and I'm gonna use it in my context.
0: Mm. Um,
1: let me know if you think of any others Kim because <laughs> I'm like forgetting some. no this is really good I'm just listening at the moment good refresher oh. oh get it like putting in the why at the very beginning so getting people engaged with the solution and not just jumping into the content Because if people don't understand why they're doing the solution or why it's worth their time, they're not likely to engage with it. Mm. What we did is we got learning designers who are filling out the training template to consider what topic are you teaching your audience on and how does it impact them positively? So rather than focusing on, like, it has this amazing impact on our organisation and it helps us make money as an organisation, like those things aren't as important to the individual so we made sure to think like what would the learner get from this and it might be they don't have to work long hours anymore because maybe it'll cut down their working day to however much because they'll be more efficient or maybe they'll be able to like better manage their team and therefore there'll be less stress and they'll they'll have better performance reviews so just really thinking about how is this training going to help that person Hmm. that audience group and i think you can do that through Conducting human-centred design activities, so doing a persona that represents the audience or interviewing people that are likely to complete the training and, like, understanding what their motivation is for doing it. Um, I think they're the things I can think
2: of right now.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's really cool. I think there's some great tips that people can use because, yeah, if we think about some people out there, they're just trying to get information out there, but what you've given are some good things to consider when you're starting from a blank slate to answer those kinds of questions or take that perspective that you've shared from that blank slate and then go out from there. So yeah, that's really cool, thank you.
1: Oh, good. Uh, What's your question, Hannah? Uh, My question's for Victoria. I was wanting to know, because Victoria's been in charge of applying for tenders, so reviewing uh, the tender application is worth us applying for and then sometimes applying for it. So I was just wondering, like, what insights you've had since starting that process just to support people who would be applying for tenders, and I know I probably will be in the future. So just, yeah, wondering what you've learnt so far.
2: Yeah. Um... Well, I haven't actually applied for any yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I guess part of that is like one of the tips as well, which is like making sure you have really clear cl- criteria before you review a tender. Um, so obviously for us, that looked like we sort of worked on it together, but like talking about the kinds of projects you actually want to work on, because like we're eligible to apply for lots of them, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's like something that connects with us that we would actually want to work on. Um So, yeah, I guess for us that looks like coming up with criteria at the beginning that we use whenever we, whenever I review them, um, which can be things like, like could be like the topic or the content they're actually training on. It could be like the budget, um, what kind of work is involved, like is it e-learning, is it like face-to-face training, that kind of thing. Um, So just getting really clear on like what you actually want, like what kind of jobs you actually want so that you don't get caught up in thinking like, I just need to make money or this is available. So I'm gonna do it even if it's not something I really want to do. Um, So yeah, having like I always have that like front of mind whenever I review them each time, um, just like so I don't get caught up in (laughs) or like waste time looking at ones that we're already sort of like ruled out of because I know that like we wouldn't, it's not something that we would want to work on or it doesn't align with us in some way. And yeah, then like the simple things like the budget or timelines and that kind of thing that just rule you out anyway. Mm. Um, So yeah, having set criteria, I also have like questions that I look at which help me either rule things out or say like, yep, it's a potential. Um, And for that, I have like a quest, different questions and then different colours. And as I'm reviewing the tender, I'll like highlight things that are relevant to that question. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of example ones that... I use (laughs) Um, because for us like we like so we look at every tender as like a potential but then as you kind of find more and more information about it out you might think "Mm, maybe not or like we need to look into this further before we like fully commit to it. Um, So different colors I might have is like if we do want to apply like we need to write about this section so I'll highlight that. Um, If there's something I'm a bit iffy on and I'm like maybe I don't know that I can do that or like if anyone in the team can do that, I'll highlight that because then it's something that I can check with you guys later and say like, would you be interested in this? Mm -hmm. Are you like, are we considered like capable of doing this? Um, So just like pulling out the key information that I need to check up on or I know that it's going to be useful like in the next step if we make it to that next step. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, What else should I do? I feel like that's kind of the main thing like most tenders are set up similar like on the different websites that we use so you download like a bunch of documents at the start and that's the information that i'm talking about mm. reviewing um but yeah it usually takes like a little while to get my head into it because some of them are pretty intense and there's like lots of <laughs> information to take in so it can take a while sometimes to make a decision or to even like think about making a decision um so i definitely think it's important to like dedicate decent amount of time to work on it like I spend half a day each week reviewing them and we usually have a few new ones each week to look at so yeah always having like that time dedicated so you can actually like focus on it and fully get into it because if you just jump in and out of it I feel like it would be easy to miss things or um like forget things that (laughs) you might have read that might have been like a decision making thing in
1: it um that's all I can really think of at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Thank you. Anyway. <laughs> just, I'm trying to figure out how to word it. Mm. Uh, Kim, you might be able to give insight on it as well because I think you sort of spoke about this when you were showing Victoria and I at the beginning. Mm. But I think there'd be some people out there where if there's criteria where they're like, oh, I haven't done that before or that's, that doesn't, like, I don't think many tenders will align with exactly your skills of what you think you're amazing at.
0: Mm. I'm
1: just wondering how would people, like, um, how do I say it? Like, how should people look at tenders in a way that they're applying for things that they might get but not completely ruling themselves out for things that they probably still could get? Does that make mm-hmm. sense?
2: Yeah, I think I get what you're meaning and I still find that hard sometimes to tell as well, like if they have, because usually they'll have like mandatory criteria and then like preferred, I don't can't remember the word, it's like preferred criteria or something like that Um, and yeah, sometimes when I look at those, I'm like, I'm not fully sure if like we meet, because some of them, there might be like two things and other times there's like 10 things that you have to meet and when I read some, like it could be like previous experience or like specific qualifications or um I don't know like a knowledge of like a certain topic or or something something like that yeah um and like some of them I can kind of tell like if I if I know we've worked on a similar project previously and I'm like that fits the same kind of thing sometimes I'm not sure and like I'll speak to Kim like I do check in with Kim a bit because obviously I don't know like every project we've worked on or every like thing that we've ever been a part of where I might not know that we're like considered experienced in it but Mm. we are (laughs) um and it can be like tricky sometimes because of the language that they use like especially I think especially when it is stuff like experience in because I'm like well that could be you've done it once or it could be like Uh. that's what you do every day (laughs) and you've done it for years like so it can be hard to tell I think sometimes but um I guess what it comes down to is like if because for me, like, I'm not necessarily going to be doing like every part of the project. But if I say to Kim, like, I know nothing about that criteria that they want. Like, do you think we meet that? If she's like, yeah, I'm confident that, mm. like, my experience or my knowledge or whatever, meets that, then I'm like, well, yeah, we should apply. Like, I feel like it's kind of up to your own. Yeah. If you read it and you're like, I'm a, like, I'm confident that I can say that I can do that or that I meet that, then like, you may as well apply. I think. Yeah, yeah I love it. <laughs> you've got that confidence from somewhere I guess
1: yeah I don't know it doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah well I guess like when it gets escalated to you Kim how do you decide whether you are like proficient in what Vic's asked like do you just say I've done it once and I know I can make it work or do you make sure that you're you've done it like heaps of times um if I've done it once I'm like I have experience
0: in it Or the other thing is, I'm like, is it, maybe I haven't done that exact thing, but is there any transferable skills that are similar from something else I have done to what this might be? So it's not completely unknown. And then the next level down, so this is kind of the process I go through in my head if a question comes to me, um, is can I work it out? So a lot of the times, like it is our human centered design approach, which is a problem solving framework. So I'm like, well, if we applied human centered design, if we applied how we do learning design, instructional design, could we do that? I'm like, yeah, pretty much all the time it comes up where we, where it might not work. One of the things I think that kind of comes up quite frequently is if they're looking for a subject matter expert in a topic. um, And then I think. Are we, sometimes we're completely not, like it's a topic that's very specific and we have to know like a chemical or a software or something and we're not. And then it's about, okay, so we're not. Um, How important is that criteria? Like normally there's waiting. Is that something we wanna overcome because the rest of it, the rest of the whole tender is a really good opportunity for us. So would we work out that particular thing on not being a subject matter expert and make it work. And if it was important to us as a team, then we'd go, well, do we need to partner with someone? Do we need to find that subject matter expert? Maybe there's an opportunity, like sometimes you can figure out in the wording how important that aspect is to the actual application that you're gonna put in as well, or they have a subject matter expert that you can have access to. So therefore you don't need to be it. Like you just need to communicate and tap into their subject matter expert. So I guess that's kind of the process when it comes to me. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Thank mm. you. That was so well explained, both of you. I love that. That's all right. Done. Um, well done. Probably just something major, but that's good if you think. <laughs> you explained it, Vic. I was like, "That's so cool!" Like, I didn't realize you knew that much about it. Oh, I don't. Know. <laughs> just a pretty face, face. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, I'd just love to
0: summarize it. and for anyone that it doesn't that doesn't do tenders, the same thing is if you're applying for jobs. So mm-hmm. I just kind of summarize it with that frame of mind because I think that might just add value to listeners. Like so essentially, there's a job application, you're like,, hmm, maybe this is for me. But before you even do that, you've decided that you're seeking an opportunity. You might just be passively like flicking what's out there kind of thing, or you're pursuing something. And the first step is to have your parameters in place. So, what is like your non-negotiables? What are your decision-making factors? So, that might be like remote work only, um, must be a minimum of this amount of money. So, you have to have that self-criteria for the opportunities that you're seeking, and then you go looking. And sometimes you can filter opportunities on job sites through that sort of stuff. So, when you do that, that's kind of the first step. Now you're le- ready to look, and you're just the first thing you. I would encourage people to do is to skim through the job application and look for anything that is a non that doesn't meet their criteria and rules it out as an opportunity and move on and that's what vic was describing to the tender she's scanning through it on a very quick first look to see Is there anything here like that doesn't align to our values? Isn't the type of client topic that we want to be working on? And if it ends up being that, then she's going, see you later. We're not gonna look any further into this. We're not gonna try and force ourselves to fit into it because we're not the right match. And then you move on to the next one. But say you are like, yep, it meets my non-negotiables. My parameters are met so far. Then you go on a deeper level and you're starting to look at, can I demonstrate my capability to meet what they're looking for so what we do is we highlight like the need to know so need to know this particular software for example need to um, have experience or demonstrated experience in this particular topic or this skill set or this capability so you go through the application you highlight it all and that identifies need to know and then there's other things that are kind of like nice to haves so you might highlight that a second color um, and then the third part of it is like the critical. So we would highlight such as a job application or a tender is like due times, formats that needs to be uploaded in, all that critical information that would rule you out if you didn't follow their process. Because a lot of times when people are scanning through jobs, the re- the job applications that they receive or tenders that they receive, they're looking to rule out anyone that hasn't followed their rules So if you upload your resume or a tender document as a Word document, and they've asked for a PDF, then they're gonna go, well, you can't follow directions. So we're ruling you out because we've had a thousand applications, and this is our quickest call activity. So just having a look at that and making sure that that's your checklist that you unhighlight as you meet those criteria. And then you're always thinking about how can we demonstrate that we are the less risky option for them to say yes to. So if that's the mindset that you're doing for all those highlighted need to know how am I going to demonstrate that I we are or I am the least risky option for this job application or for this tender or for this quote I'm responding to that's what you want to get through so yeah
2: Love <laughs> All
0: right, happy to move on? Yeah, Vic over to you girl.
2: Um, my questions for you, Kim. Mm. Um, so you recently did like the goal, your goal setting reflection time for the business and like made a plan for the next few months, which we've talked a little bit about on a previous episode. Um, but since then you've kind of, you did like a little check-in with us yesterday and you were like reflecting on something that you think has had a big impact on the goals that you set, which was, Mm. Well, there was lots of things that went into it, but one of the things I wanted to ask about was, um, so like each morning you spend time visualising, manifesting and doing like your gratitude thing, mm. which I know you've done like since I met you basically. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to find out like what your process is for that, because like I know we were all really excited yesterday talking about like how that can influence things. Mm. And like you said, you like use it as like a check-in thing throughout the day. Mm. Um But like what do you actually do with that time?
0: Yeah. So I think there's so many like audiobooks and stuff out there that are like start your morning right. And like that shit works. You just gotta figure out what yours is. So mine is like I wake up at the same time every day and I have an hour that is just purely dedicated to me. No stimulus from phones. I don't pick anything up like that. And I've got four things to achieve. And it starts with meditation and then I go into gratitude. I visualize and I set my intent. So my meditation is I just do like 10 minutes and I'm basically just trying to get to a place of peacefulness. Um, and for me, like I listen to one, uh, it's by a guy called Joe Dispenza. And he basically is just getting you to what it happens for me is like in that he's getting you to um, if you've ever seen those like The pictures of the universe where it's like all the galaxy and the stars and stuff i'm basically trying to put myself in that where nothing around me exists except for me in space or in the galaxy or in the universe and then that we all become a swirl so i can swirl all those stars and energy through my body to a point that everything is just energy molecules so i kind of get to that place um and like that, that's just a guided meditation. At the moment, I'm trying to experiment with getting to that state without the guided meditation because I've been doing it for a couple of months now. So when I am committed to doing a meditation properly and I haven't woken up tired, that's what it looks like. Otherwise, I'm just kind of like dozing back to sleep, uh, which is nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the first kind of 15 minutes. And then afterwards, I just spend a little bit of moments going, okay, what am I grateful for? And like, I literally like, I'm just like, so grateful, like whatever comes up for me, I, I feel it. So it's not just like, I'm grateful for like the people I work with. I think about, I'm grateful for the people that I work with. And I literally visualize your faces or like <laughs> a moment where we've like laughed or had an interaction or, and I've looked at you and been proud of you. And I try to recreate that feeling in my body and I'm like, yeah, I'm really grateful for that. And like, it makes me feel good. It puts my vibration, my energy up a little bit higher. And I I know I don't move on until I've tried to feel it. Now, when I start doing this, sometimes I fall out of these patterns and I don't do it. Um, and then I have to like build gratitude again. And when I'm starting gratitude, I'm just like, I'm grateful for blah. I'm grateful for this. and then And then it's nothing. I'm just forcing myself to do it. So what I try to do is feel it because that's where the biggest impact I find comes from. So initially, if you're not there, just force yourself. Over a week or two or three weeks, you will start to feel the gratitude for the things that you are grateful for. And normally I'll have like two or three or four things that I literally will just go, I'm grateful for um the bed that I'm lying in and how comfy the coat, like the covers are. And I like will just be like, And that's literally it. I can feel it, like that thing. So gratitude's done. That kind of lifts my vibration, as I said, to another level. Um, And then I start to visualize a couple of goals that I'm working on um, for my life. So generally, they fall into the category of like wealth, health, and happiness. And so what I have a little... I guess you would call it like a mantra maybe that i say and i just say abundance no there is an abundance of x available to me and it will come in the form of blah is kind of what i I think and I love the the minute I say there is an abundance of this a feeling of openness. Is this the level of detail you wanted, Vic? Or did you want (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um the minute I say abundance, like it feels open it feels available it feels like the opportunity is there and no fear is there about that's not fucking possible that's impossible Kim like that doesn't come up so when I say there is an abundance of x available to me and because I'm in that state of visual like sorry I'm in the the gratitude carries on I can feel it the next activity I start to feel the abundance and it's almost like I get to a point of the feeling of those things that I'm trying to attract to me or like taking action on to manifest into my life, start, it feels like energy is coming. Like I feel like it's just coming magnetically to me and I'm like, Mm. I'm at peace. That's going to happen. Like I just can trust it. Like it's coming. It might not be here right now, but it's like, it's on its way. And so I say that until I feel it and I believe it. And I have to really like sometimes stop myself and say, don't move on because sometimes I'm like I might anticipate something's coming in the day like oh shit I've got that deadline to meet so I'm like trying to hurry through this process and I'm like calm the farm Mm -hmm. like you can spend four minutes doing this Kim like so feel it um feel it and believe it because I know that when I do these things magical things happen for me and the people around me so Yeah, I feel that abundance and that kind of attraction of the stuff coming to me. And then I set an intent for the day. And my intent is one thing only because I have tried a couple of things in the past. By a couple, I might mean like be present and um, eat healthy, I don't know. And when I do that, it's too many things for me to carry in my mind doesn't sound like a lot but it is (laughs) it never happens so -hmm. if I have one word that I'm focusing on for the day that holds me accountable to be the best version of myself to achieve that throughout the day and when I feel because I have a level of awareness I can feel when I've slipped from it and then I can just be the one say the one word again to myself and it refocuses myself to that and I've Mm kind of I might have shared this like a some time on one of these episodes but There's only a couple of words that I do say because I know that those words make me show up uh, in a certain way from many situations. So I'm adaptable. Like if I say, um, I don't normally say eat healthy. I say eat to fuel yourself today, for example. That's not one word. I don't normally say this. But the reason I don't say this anymore is why I'm saying it. Because eat healthy, fuel, or nourish yourself through the food is only one aspect of my life being impacted, really? Like mm-hmm. it it does have a knock-on effect. Like if I eat healthy, then my mind's healthy. I'm in a better mood Then my life. I'm a better person, colleague to be around. Like, so it's a little bit good, but there's other words that are more impactful than that. So I tend to pick words that have, um, allow me to be adaptable in more situations. So for example, a big one for me would be, uh, just be present. So if I'm present, I'm really listening to your question. Um or and then I was listening only to Hannah, I'm listening to your response. I and if for example, so you've asked Hannah asked you a question, I'm listening to your response. I'm not listening of oh if I was asked this question, what would I say? I'm there present to you. And then if Hannah said, okay, Kim, what do you think? Then I'd go, "Hmm, yeah, what do i think because i'm trying to be present to all moments mm-hmm. that presence allows me to make decisions around food like are you hungry right now or are you thirsty oh i'm actually only i just need a glass of water i don't need like the fifth burger of the day um <laughs> or like i another thing about being present is like that allows me to be productive because i'm like be present to the task you're doing right now mm-hmm. that thing that just popped into your mind that is, you know, it's in your calendar for 2 p.m. today and you'll deal with it now, then. But now you're present mm-hmm. to this thing. So I pick the one word that I probably, and I try to pick a word for a week or until I, it feels like embedded as a habit, as a natural state mm-hmm. of being. And yeah, and rather than chopping and changing. And then when I've done that, I haven't been doing this as much, but I, I don't know, because I'm like, After that, I'm like ready to go. I'm like, let's fucking conquer the world. Um, But what I did do after that in the past was I would listen to something that would stimulate me and inspire me and make me think different. So it might be, and it would be for like 20 minutes max. So basically that hour is all purely focused on me and setting me to be the best version of myself for whatever happens in the day. That's my process. And it's like, makes me feel magical. It makes me feel like so content in life. Um, and if you're consistent with it every day, the momentum starts to flow and the magnifying, mag, I don't know what that word is, like it amplifies the results. Those actions amplify the results in ways that you initially don't think are possible.
2: Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Definitely going to try and adopt some of those in my morning routine, which is currently just getting out of bed and starting work. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it
0: works for me. Like you got to find your things, but it's identifying the things that are the foundational things for setting you up to be the person that you want to be or to Mm. live the day the way that you want to be. They're the things that I've identified work for me, but they're also things that like 50 billion books are telling you on podcasts and all that. So there must be something in that. The difference is, yeah. and this is not necessarily for you Vic, but the people watching at home is we've heard it. What are you going to do about it? Make it work. Yeah. Mm. Thanks. Oh, good. Um, quickly before we finish, actually last Studio Insights, you both were embedding something which was to do it your calendars remember that how's that going
2: being consistent i've got it open on the other screen as we speak (laughs) it's been going well
0: then like building Mm. a habit yeah yeah
2: nice it really helps me not to forget things
0: (laughs) that's cool very good oh well done for continuing putting it into
1: action hannah yours yeah really good yeah yeah so helpful like The days just feel more relaxed because I've like planned it. It's not like Mm. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm very like I stick to the task I'm on. Yeah.
0: That's cool. Well, there you go. That's like another like evidence of building the right habits, setting yourself up with little systems that serve you well. Like you're both benefiting, having a peaceful and productive life. That's cool. Nice work. All right. Well, thanks, team and thanks everyone for choosing to learn with us we appreciate you go check out the link in the description for things that will add extra value to your life and have an awesome day go put something into practice get your action plan out do something with whatever has added value from this episode of studio insights with bell vista studios what's up awesome human thank you thank you thank you on behalf of myself and the Belvista Studios team for continuously choosing to learn with us. We really appreciate it. If the tips and the insights and the context resonate with you and you want to take your skills to the next level or you want to make your life way easier, you will love our Creator Hub. The Creator Hub is a place for people like you and us. Basically, it's the stuff that we use internally at Belvista Studios and then we just share it publicly with you. The Creator Hub is created by instructional designers for instructional designers. And what you'll love there at the moment is we've got a quiz. Could I be a better instructional designer? That has so much tips in the feedback if you're interested in human-centered design or just taking your skills to the next level in terms of the solutions you're creating, the problems you will want to solve. But in there as well, aren't we cute? That's us. Um, but we've got the coaching courses freebies give us gratitude and also we've got some templates and basically they're always around the lens of learning experience design instructional design and e-learning so a human-centered design focus is very much what we're about at Bell Vista Studio so putting your learners at the heart of a solution and creating something for their needs So there's the human-centered design stuff, and then we've also got the business stuff. So this is the stuff they don't teach you about when you want to become a freelancer or a consultant in the instructional design world. So go check it out. The link is in the description. You can check out everything that is available for you. Thank you for choosing to learn with us. Continuously invest in your skills. You will be rewarded as an instructional designer. Share this stuff. Share it with other people, because when we are better instructional designers, we create better solutions that create better humans that create a better world. So we have a very important role and I'm excited to be on this journey with you. Have an awesome day.